Well, good morning, everybody. You all sound so lovely and awake this morning. That's delightful. (laughs) No, it really is delightful. Um, So this week we're starting a new series. It's it's, uh, titled Journey to the Cross. It's kicking off a short Lenten series. Um, Show of hands, how many people know uh, what it means when I say the word Lent? That's a good number of you. Uh, I'm going to explain it anyways, um, just so we're all sort of on the same page today. Um, Lent is a 40-day season. It counts Sundays as Sabbath, just so that you know. Um, If you're a smart aleck like me, uh, you would count the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter. It's 47 days, and as a kid, I was really angry to find out I'd been fasting for 47 days because no one told me about Sunday as Sabbath. So (laughs) it was kind of a mess. But Lent kind of gets a bad reputation. It ends up being a dreary and disliked season in the church because it focuses on repentance, fasting, and minimalistic living. Its function is to remind us of the divinity of Jesus against our humanity. Um, And it also reminds us of Jesus' humanity and ministry here on earth. And uh, so during this time, we're called to live as his disciples traveling to Good Friday and to Easter, which is why it's a season of repentance and fasting. Um, Through this time, we're called to be transformed by Christ and thus become more like Christ. Um, We're called to the Christian life, and the Christian life is one of active repentance, turning towards Christ uh, daily. And so that's what this time is about. And a lot of people don't really like that because it's not fun. Now that I've said that, though, I have to confess, it's my favorite season of the church. So um, most people find this very odd, uh, especially when they find out that it's been my favorite season since about nine. And uh, I remember that year well. It's the first year I took, my, uh, took a stab at fasting during Lent. I gave my dad my Backstreet Boys Millennium CD and told him not to give it back. No matter how much I pleaded. I mean, like, seriously, I mean... Nine years old, and I gave that up. That is some serious business right there. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, and yet, I came back fasting every year. Uh, and the reason I came back fasting every year and the reason I love Lent is not because it's fun, but because it's the season in which I grow the closest to God. It's the season in which my life is most transformed um, into this life we call the Christian life. So... Background on me, I love Lent, so today I'm talking about repentance. A really nice sermon for them to give the intern, right? Um, (laughs) But when I talk about it, know that, I mean, this is something that I really care about. Uh, I don't find it easy, but I find it worthwhile. Um, And so I just invite you with me as we enter into this this sermon. Sound good? Great. Okay, we're going to read a scripture from Luke chapter 13. I grew up Lutheran, so I read the full scripture first and then do the sermon. So you'll just have to hear the whole scripture at one time. Uh, The words will be on the screen. It says, At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. 
Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So this passage started with two examples of suffering and death, examples that we don't really know about unless we look more into the history. I didn't know about it until I looked more into the history, so you're not behind. Um, They're themes of urgency and this altering of a common held belief that a lack of suffering is a sign of blessing and a sinless life. So in the first example, there's this example of Pilate slaughtering many Galileans. In the other example, there are some, some uh, innocent people in Siloam who are killed in the literal fall of a building. In this moment, Jesus is addressing some of the confusion as to who needs to repent and why. He is calling for all people to repent, not just the ones going through suffering. He doesn't correlate sin and suffering. He's calling everyone to a life of repentance. And should they, read, should we, not choose that life of repentance, we will perish. So hearing these words, repent or perish, probably brings up a number of images for you. Um, For most of us, it conjures up images of church leaders scolding us, parents and friends shaming us, um, hiding things so, like, no one finds out what you're doing, or the exact opposite, confessing every little thing because you're um, afraid that something would keep you from God, so you want to make sure you're blameless. Um, Repent or perish tends to conjure up these familiar images for us. But while Jesus is bringing urgency this message of repentance, it's not meant to force us to respond out of fear. It's meant to sort of level this playing field. Um, People who didn't suffer thought they were more holy than others. And we see it over and over again in the scriptures where people are cast out of this core social society because they're considered impure or unholy in some way, and usually this unholiness means that they have some sort of sin, so they can't be a part of the core social society. But Jesus sort of takes that skewed division of worthiness and says, you would all do well to repent. And it's a theme we see Paul pick up later in Romans when he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So to illustrate this matter, Jesus tells a parable, which I find absolutely beautiful. So most of our morning will be spent with this parable. In this parable, the vineyard owner comes upon a tree, expecting fruit. There is no fruit when he arrives, and there's been no fruit for three years. He's disgruntled, and he doesn't want the tree wasting any more space. He tells the gardener to chop it down, but the gardener comes to the tree's defense. 
the gardener is willing to put in the effort to till the soil and replace it with the nutrients the tree needs to flourish. One of the things I find beautiful about this parable is the fact that it starts in the middle of the story. Here's this tree in the midst of a vineyard, and it has stopped producing fruit. It hadn't produced fruit for three years, but it's a full-fledged tree. And I think it would be fair to assume it bore fruit at some point. So let's take a look at a tree right now. Great, there's a tree. Uh, This is what a tree looks like in the midst of winter, right? It's all branches, like no leaves, and certainly no fruit. And it would look pretty strange in the height of spring or summer. Um, But what I want to point out right now is the size of this tree, right? See, the tree grew at some point. It wasn't just plopped into the middle of the ground. It didn't just fall out of the sky. Aside from the initial creation, everything had to grow from somewhere. It had to have a starting point, like this lovely New Jersey acorn. It started from somewhere. It took work, it took nutrients, and constant care for the tree to go from that small acorn to this stately-looking thing. So this tree grows from acorn to sturdy structure. The soil, the weather, the whole environment works for the tree. Until it doesn't. The soil becomes old, dry, stale. It hasn't truly been tilled or fertilized for a while. The seasons may change at a different pace, and the tree stops thriving. The tree stops growing altogether. The tree stops producing fruit. Why? Well, probably because the ground surrounding the tree hadn't been taken care of for a while, and the tree is in need of a good gardener. So we'll take a look at a root system. So when we think of trees, we often picture like a good number of roots going deep into the ground, staying more or less underneath the tree. But the reality is they don't go as deep as we think, and they span out farther. And there's a lot more ground to cover and take care of than we would think of. And this tree is a lot like our Christian life, where there's a lot of maintenance, and there's a lot more ground to cover and take care of than we initially think of. And it calls for constant action and repentance if we want the ground to be a place where the tree can grow and get the sustenance it needs to produce fruit. So one of my friends posted uh, this picture on Facebook last week. It's a lovely little tool, Facebook. And it's absolutely relevant to the parable this week. When a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. You fix the soil around the tree. Remember, the vineyard owner wanted to blame the tree for wasting space, and he wanted the tree cut down. But the gardener says, no, wait. Give it a year. Jesus is willing to respond to this harshness of life that we feel of just chopping down the tree and replace the old soil in our lives. But what would that really mean for us as Christians? Like I said before, the tree has already grown a bit. It knows what life looks like when the soil is rich and fertile. It's done the work before, but now the system isn't working for the tree, and it needs something new. What if we need something new? What if the ways in which we've been living our Christian life end up bringing us to a point where we've been growing and growing and growing, and it just stops? We need something new. We need to put in new constant care and effort. 
this passage is about repentance, after all. What if we need to repent in continuing our old, uh, we're Christian, but our old ways? What if we need to repent for the ways in which we've prevented Jesus from being a good So there are a few things that I want to address in here. Um, Perishing is passive. Repentance is active. And the third one, the most hopeful one of them all, with the true attention, love, and work of the gardener, it would be highly unlikely for the tree to not bear fruit within a year. Right? With the true attention and love and work of Jesus Christ, it would be highly unlikely that we wouldn't bear fruit the following year, that we would perish. So here's the image I get in my head when I think of perishing. As I said, I picture it as a very passive thing. I picture something crumbling, something just disintegrating, like an old piece of paper that hasn't been touched or put in the right environment for a while. Um, But in actuality, I have a more fun example that I'm hoping most of you will get. Um, I think of the death of Voldemort in Harry Potter. Uh, He literally just disintegrates, right? His body just falls apart and floats off into the sky. And for those of you who don't know what I just referenced, um, it's like blowing on a dandelion and watching the seeds flow off into the sky. Uh, So hopefully one of those three images captured someone's attention out there. But it's what I think of, and Voldemort's the one for me, so... You pick yours. Uh, it's, it's little pieces of us dying and dying and dying without us taking any major notice. It's just, they're just softly f- floating away. No one says, like, I'm going to leave this tree to die. We don't say, I'm going to let myself perish. No, we just stop pursuing this Christian life. We slowly stop engaging, really engaging. And before we know it, we're living a life of habit instead of a life of engagement and repentance. And we find parts of us are just dead. And we find we need Jesus to garden, to to renew our soil. So I'll share a a brief example from my time uh, here at seminary. I'm in my third year now. And I came to seminary just after a growth spurt. I'm talking a spiritual growth spurt because, yeah, I've been this tall since like 13, so it's fine. Um, but my spiritual growth spurt, it was so good for my life. It was so good. It's the reason I was able to leave my family behind, my Christian communities behind to move across the country to attend seminary for three years. But something happened when I got here. I, I just stopped growing, and I didn't know. I really didn't know. I was doing all, this, all the normal things that I had done back home, but something about changing where I was made me stop growing. And I talked to a friend about this, and she had experienced the same thing in her first couple years here, and she called it a slow death. And that's kind of what it is when we, when we don't notice what's happening, where, our Christ, where we don't notice our Christian life is slowed down. It's, it's a slow death. It's one that we don't recognize until... We're at a point where we kind of just want to cut the tree down. Um, 
I was engaging in daily devotionals and corporate worship, individual worship, prayers. I was even uh, involved in community service and social justice work. And something in me was just falling away. So I came into this year knowing I needed to do something very different. Um, I had to, I, I literally had to repent of the ways in which I was connecting to God or thought I was connecting to God and uh, find new ways of really connecting to God. So I, I changed a number of things, but it, I'm going to highlight the major one here. I started experiencing God through silence and sitting patiently in God's presence, literally expecting nothing more than to just sit and allow God to do whatever um, God was going to do in that time. And, and during that, that meant I started allowing God to lavish love on me. I started allowing God to garden and refresh my soil, which means I started allowing God to show me the dark places of my own heart. That's, that's what sitting in silence will do for you. So I recommend it, but it's very hard because uh, these are some of the things that God showed me. Um, God showed me pride and stubbornness. God showed me uh, how much my fear of vulnerability uh, was keeping me from true relationships and subsequently true relationship with God. Uh, God showed me and is still showing me how I selfishly use my time. And God is calling me to interact and learn more about my neighbor. Man, that one was hard to have to look around and say, I don't know my neighbor. And that's part of why I don't know God. And it's been a painful process. This business of repentance is no joke in me, like, confessing this to you, right? Like, this is what we do in Christian community is we repent to one another. We grow together. But once I started doing these things, I started seeing Jesus again freshly in communal worship, in daily devotionals, in prayer, and being called to new places, Jesus would, is, is continuing to call me to new places, places outside of my comfort zone. And we'll get to some examples of that towards the end when we all meditate on that together. But I can feel myself coming back to life through this method of repentance and seeing where God can do work in the hard places. So here's, we'll go back to the tree now, okay? If repentance isn't your deal, which I am, I don't know if I would necessarily believe you if you said it wasn't your deal, because I think we all have things to repent for, but if you're great at it, go you. Teach me your ways. Um, but if it's not you right now, um, think about a time when it was you. Think about when it probably will be you again, because we're all going to go through this barren fig tree stage at some point. Um, so this, these are my thoughts on it. Our soil gets old. And we stop growing because we are no longer discovering and experiencing the life-changing love of Jesus. Sound familiar to anyone? Okay. <laughs> it doesn't happen because we're worse sinners than the people next to us. It doesn't happen because we're worse sinners than the person sitting next to us right now. It happens because we've stopped really experiencing the life-changing love of Jesus. Our old habits are nice, and they're Christian, and they're good, but maybe they're not bringing us anything new. They're not life-changing. They're not invigorating us. And frankly, we're probably perishing without even noticing because we're not repenting to one another and we're not allowing Jesus to tend our soil. 
Because when Jesus is truly tending the soil, it's very unlikely we wouldn't start bearing fruit, right? Like this tree. The gardener knows if I tend to it, if I'm allowed to tend to this tree, it will bear fruit. Jesus knows. If he's allowed to tend to our lives, we will bear fruit. Jesus knows. And here's the crux of it all. It's going to be up on the screen so that you can understand what I'm saying. When we're not continually engaging in acts of repentance and growth towards the life Christ has called us to as disciples, we are passively perishing in the areas of life we're unwilling to turn over or turn away from. That's what living a life as a disciple of Christ is. It's turning towards Christ, actively turning towards Christ, and repentance is actively turning away from the old life. It's a slow death of what could be. That's what perishing is. It's the disintegration of parts of ourselves without us recognizing what's happening. And we don't see what's happening until we arrive at a point where we want to cut the tree down. So this message is obviously very much a call for us to check our soil. Like I said, guaranteed, there are many levels of repentance in this room. Some of you Those of you who are very good at this, like I said, I want to know your ways. You may just need to do some light tending. Maybe you are very good at repenting and engaging with the ways in which Jesus is calling you to grow on a daily basis. For others, the soil's probably a bit older, but the tree's still doing all right. But for others, the soil's just probably really dry. And, and you may be ready to chop the tree down. And you just need to hear the words of, of Jesus saying, wait one more year. Just let me in. Let me do work in your life. Let me in. And I'm not going to presume what would be big or small areas of repentance for you. Because it's going, like I said, it's going to be very different for all of us. So I have two slides with a number of things. Um, and some of them are, are pretty hard to, to read. They're very jarring to read. Um, I kind of didn't spare anything here. But I'm just going to, I'm not going to say them. I'm going to have us read them. Because I'd like us to stop for a moment and think about what God has been doing for us in this time of worship. Uh, what God's been doing for you in the last few weeks. Uh, and where God is calling you to grow. You may have something in your mind you've been thinking of while I've been talking. Uh, you may not. Uh, some of these things may start to resonate with you, but I, this communal aspect of repentance and sitting together and being together as we reflect on where God is calling us to grow, I think is very important to the Christian life. Um, so we're going to put the first slide up. Um, I'm going to keep talking for just a bit. Uh, none of us are free from needing to repent for the ways in which we've turned away from Christ and not allowed him to work in our lives. No one in this room is a worse sinner than others. And, and in that same vein, no one of us is more saved by grace than our neighbor. We all need to repent, but we are all lavishly covered by the grace of God, and we are all brought to a place where we can grow. Um, so we're just going to take a moment. Um, this is one, one out of two, so you're, we're all just going to deal with silence for a little bit. We're going to take a moment, look, finish looking at this slide, look at the next one, and see where God might be calling us to repentance for a little bit.
So whatever it is for you, repentance is active. It's something we do with our whole bodies and our whole life. It isn't just something we pray or thoughts that we think. It's something we embody and live out. And we won't grow without repentance. We will perish. We need repentance to help us grow in this Christian life. And in fact, repentance is integral to the Christian life because, as I've said many times, everything in the Christian life is one of active repentance because to live the Christian life means we are turning away from the old and turning towards Christ. So with that, I promise you, it's almost over. Um, We are going to do a time of corporate confession. Uh... Because repentance isn't solely individual. It's something that we do together. And we need repentance to help us grow in this Christian life. Um, So there's going to be a confession on the screen, and I'm going to ask you guys to do something maybe slightly uncomfortable, but we're all going to stand together. We're going to hold hands with our neighbors because we're in this together. We're not just solely individually repenting. If If you don't like personal touch, just stand sort of close to somebody because we're in this together, okay? And I'm going to actually come down with you guys so I can hold hands with everybody. And we're going we're gonna to confess together as a group. Uh, if you're freaking out, don't worry. We're also going to hear the proclamation of the forgiveness of Christ. But first, we need to come to Christ. Um, and then after doing that, uh, we'll move into a time of communion. Sound good? All right, will you stand with me, please? Okay. All right, it's time to hold hands. Is everybody, like, close to somebody or holding hands? Can I get, like, verbal confirmation of this because I can't see you? Great, thank you. Okay, here we go. I'm going to, you're going to read the bold part that says all. I'll read the rest. Jesus Christ, risen master and triumphant Lord, we come to you in sorrow for our sins and confess to you our weakness and unbelief. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived by the light of our own eyes as faithless and not believing. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived for this world alone and doubted our home in heaven. In your mercy, forgive us. Friends, This is what's wonderful about our life here together. Jesus Christ, who is rich in mercy, who is a tender gardener, who believes in the good creation of God, is willing to be with us day in and day out as we confess our sins to him. And he brings us gracious forgiveness, love, and mercy as together we have proclaimed his truth of freedom for our lives. So live as forgiven people. We're going to enter into a time of communion now. Uh, you see the band is coming up. You see these three tables up here. They're here uh, so that you can walk up for communion. Because as I said, this is a very embodied experience. This is an active experience. Um, and I want us to move our bodies together as we come up and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, as we remember his death and resurrection, as we remember our own death and resurrection. It is something we do with our whole bodies. It is something we do with our community. So we will commune together um, 
please come up and receive the elements as you feel led to come up. Uh, no one will be directing you. The band will be playing a song. And we're just going to take this time to reflect on the ways in which God is calling us to grow and be in his love and his mercy. Maybe see